Good morning, good afternoon, and good evening. Welcome to Genesee Valley Church's online podcast. GVC is a non-denominational church in Flint, Michigan, and our mission is simple. To love God, love people, and love life. I know that you will be blessed by the message and the words that God has for you today. Now, here's Pastor Tony. We're a faith church, so you might have had to do that by faith right now, okay? That's okay. Just when you do it, put a smile on your face. I'm glad that you're here. Praise the Lord. <laughs> but anyways, obviously in this whole new context of church, we're just trying to get back into a regular routine, and uh, it always kind of feels weird and, and funky just because of the, the nature of it. But once again, uh, we're endeavoring just to believe God. Amen. And how many of you know that this is a season of rebuilding? Uh, you see our, our props and all the stuff on the platform, and I shared with you last week when my wife came in and was sitting next to me. She says, I hate all the stuff on the platform. She says, it looks messy and horrible. And I'm like, I know, that's the whole point, you know, because, you know, when you're under construction, when you're rebuilding, you know, it gets messy. And how many of you have ever tried to clean out your house? You've tried to, like, clean out the closet. And, you know, uh, you've had, even though it's a messy closet, you've had that packed very strategically. And you know what I mean? And so whenever you try to get it reorganized and try to get it situated, the mess gets extremely messy and it gets big, right? So, again, obviously, if we're purposing to be allowing ourselves to be under construction and rebuilding, sometimes it gets a little messy. And so last week, if you remember, we talked about rebuilding the church. And this hour and this day, the church is under construction. God is rebuilding his church. How do we know that? Because he said in the last days, these are going to be some signs of my coming. And he says, this is what people are going to look like. He said, this is what my church is going to look like. He said, but I'm coming back for a glorious church, one without spot or wrinkle. So that means that the state and the condition of God's church right now has to change in the way that it looks in order for Jesus to come. So that means that the hours that we're living, all the signs and all the things that we're experiencing in this world is really a telltale sign that Jesus is coming. That just simply means that we, the church, are under construction. Aren't you glad? Amen. And uh, with that being said, how many of you know that when it comes to the rebuilding process, sometimes it's not necessarily fun? Sometimes it can be painful, right? And so today we're going to talk about rebuilding lives because that's what we as a church are all about that's what we as gvc are all about we are called to change the landscape of this community but you realize that the rebuilding and the ones that are under construction first are always going to be the people of god it's always going to be the house of god that he begins to move in first before he begins to reach out that was a good place to say amen <laughs> because he's wanting us to be the examples but as I said, when we're purposing to rebuild, it's not always fun. Sometimes it can be painful. Now you might say, well, how can it be painful, man? I thought rebuilding and, you know, the new is, is always better. It is better. But just look at those people that are over in California. Those that have been devastated by the fires. If you've seen any of the news, news broadcasts, you'll 
notice that as they're talking to those individuals and they're scanning the landscape and there's that homeowner that is standing over the plot and the place where their home once was and there is nothing but a pile of ashes and the person that they're interviewing the person that 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 owned that home is weeping and crying because in that house was memories it was my past it was my it was my life it was everything that i knew in that house and even though we know that we're going to rebuild right now i'm feeling the pain of the damage that was done and so it might be a little bit like pulling the band-aid off as we expose some things in the rebuilding process of our lives. And so one of the things that I want to bring to your attention this morning is a story that we find over in the book of Nehemiah. It's the story of Nehemiah rebuilding the walls of Jerusalem. Now, if you recall in 2 Chronicles, the Bible says over in 2 Chronicles chapter 7, verse 14, God says this, He says, If my people who are called by, by name shall humble themselves and pray, and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, he says, then I will hear from heaven and I will forgive their sins and I will heal their land. So ultimately, God is wanting the people of God to come to a place of being under construction and us being under construction, allowing God to do a rebuilding process in us. He says that through us, he will begin to heal the land. Amen. How much easier is it for us as individuals to look at the other person and say, it is your fault. You are the reason. And in my house, if anybody is wrong, it is me. I just want you to know, I, I can never win the argument. It's always my fault. You know what I'm saying? Because it is, I know. Yeah. And every, every woman in one says, that's right, brother. That's <laughs> but are you getting what I'm saying? It's always easy to point the finger at somebody else and say, if you would get your stuff together, right? We're looking at this nation and we're looking at all the heathens in the world and say, man, if you would get your act together, man, everything would be hunky-dory. But God says, no, I'm not looking to them. I'm looking to you, my people. And he says, if you would allow me to rebuild and a construction process to, to take place, he said, then I would heal your nation. Man, that's a, a lot of responsibility, isn't it? But obviously God's looking at it from the vantage point of us becoming our best version of who he's called us to be and obviously we are the ones that God has placed in this earth to shed the light of God the love of God to be a an example and a testimony and a witness of the goodness of God so that people can come to that saving knowledge of Jesus Christ and so we're going to look at the story of Nehemiah and just the process that he went through, and there's a couple different things that we can look at here. But in regards to Nehemiah rebuilding the wall, God spoke to him and says, I want you to rebuild the wall. And in regards to the walls, the walls represent the strength and the protection of the people. The walls represent the strength and the protection of the people. Now, again, this were, the, the walls were the walls that surrounded Jerusalem. 
And so Jerusalem represents God's people, God's city. But more importantly, it represents God's dwelling place of where he spent time with his people. And God says it's time to rebuild the walls. But not only that, he said that the walls have been destroyed and the gates have been burned. So in the rebuilding process, both the walls and the gates needed to be rebuilt or to be re, yeah, rebuilt. And so we're going to look at for a moment just the context of the walls, but more importantly, we're going to dive into those gates and see what that represents. So in regards to these walls, in Nehemiah chapter 1, starting in verse 3, it says, And they said to me, The surveyors who are left from the captivity in the provinces are there in great distress and reproach. And the walls of Jerusalem is also broken down, and its gates are burned with fire. And then the Bible says in verse 4, it says, And Nehemiah wept. So in other words, when he looked at the city, it moved him with compassion because he realized and recognized that this is the dwelling place. This is the place where God comes and visits his people. And the Bible says that he was moved with such distress that he wept and then he fasted and he prayed. It moved him to a place not only to say, God, I mourn over this city, but he says, God, I, I got to do something about it. And so he began to pray. And upon praying, God gave him some instructions. God gave him some instructions of what he would do. But here's something that I want to present to you as individuals. You will never build the walls of your life until you have first become greatly concerned about the ruins I said you will never be moved to a place of rebuilding things within your life the walls and the gates in your life until you have first been touched and concerned with the destruction and the damage that has taken place you see the enemy is coming against the body of Christ. He's come against your family. He's come against your marriage. He's come against your mind. He's come against your physical body. And you can just lay down and you can just take it. Or you can get to a place of saying, enough is enough. I'm tired of going through and living life, having to step over the, the rubble and the debris of all the ruins of my life. And it's time to rebuild see God wants us to get to a place of where we're ready for change that's what's taking place right now there's a reconstruction taking place I just heard this recently there was a sociological study that was done and they proved that if 25% of the population determined to change the narrative they will change the course of a nation that's a small percentage, isn't it? And you're seeing that right now in our culture. There are so many noisy, loud voices that are consuming the airways that are saying there must be change and this must happen and you must do this and you must do that. And it's a small majority, but it is a very organized major, uh, uh, minority rather. And they're making a lot of noise, and it is starting to change the narrative of our nation, whether that be good or bad. Now, my question for you is, 
what if the body of Christ got together and became united and really took inventory and had a concern of the ruins of the things that we see round about us and rather than saying, well, you know what, let's just move somewhere else because you know what, it's easier over there. Like Sodom and Gomorrah, you know, uh, uh, he says to Lot, he says, which one do you want to go to? He said, well, the one that looks green, obviously. See, the grass always looks greener on the other side. And it's real easy for us just to pick up and say, well, I'm going to go where there's a path of least resistance. But you might find that the only reason why it's greener over there is because it's built over the septic field. <laughs> right? And how many of you know if you want something green, you've got to water it? So it takes a little bit of effort, doesn't it? It don't matter where you go. And so it's real easy just to say, well, it's real tough here. But what if the body of Christ took inventory and said, enough's enough. We are going to rally together. And if you haven't noticed right now in this culture, there is an extreme agenda to shut the church down and shut the church up. Why? Because this is the backbone of this nation. And you can sit back and say, well, I don't know if I agree with that. Well, then again, you just haven't been paying attention to what's going on around about you. Because I'm telling you, that is the big agenda with everything that we're seeing right now, political and whatever else, it's to come against the church and what the church has to offer. But what if the church was to stand up and say, I'm tired of the ruins. I'm tired of the rubble. I'm tired of you telling and dictating to me what's going to be. No, we are going to stand together and we're going to change the narrative. Listen, God's coming back for a glorious church. And that very thing is happening. And this church is a part of that end time move of saying enough is enough. Now, whether you're a part of that, I can't say. But I'm telling you what, we as a church, me as a pastor, and those who will follow, we are going to make an impact and we're going to change the landscape of this community. Amen. And so, if we as an individual would begin to assess the ruin and be touched by that, we could see that God would begin to move on our heart. The Bible also tells us that Nehemiah began to repent. He says he, he, he repented before the Lord of the sins of not only his life, but those of his forefathers. And so, in other words, he's saying, God, this has been a generational thing. These, these are some things that have been going on for some time. And so, this has gotten out of control and this has come to a climax and this is what we see today. But it's not just because of today, but it's because of a lot of things that we, your people, have allowed to progress and transgress over time. And he says, He repented before the Lord. God, forgive us for what we've done. And then, as a result, the Bible says that He reminded God, He says, I'm going to remind you of your promise for you said that this was a gathering place for your people. It was a place, it was a dwelling place that you have chosen for us. Listen, it's not by chance that you were born or find yourself in this place of Genesee County, of the greater Flint area or the surrounding areas. You might say, well, I never wanted to be here. I didn't ask to be here. But let me tell you, you are here. So that means that God has called you to be a part of the solution. You can turn tail and run or you can be a part of what God's wanting to do. Because God says, wherever you are, it is a dwelling place for my people. And I don't know about you, but man... When there is somebody that is hungry for God, there is something that is attractive. There's something that draws people to them. And then we go on to see this. That he went before the king. 
and he's weeping before the king because of the concern of his city. And here's what the king asked him. And I want you to pay attention to this during this story of Nehemiah because it's really, it's really paralleling to the period in the time in which we live right now. The Bible says that he went before the king and he's weeping before the king and the king asked him, he says, why are you so sad? And a man of God, a man that walks with God, had to tell the leader, he had to say, the city is in ruins. The dwelling place where God brought us to is in ruins and the gates are on fire. So do you see that God's desire is to use His people and to use His church to be the ones to bring it to the attention of leaders and to say, it is time to rebuild. Rather than looking to leaders and say, hey, did you know it's getting real bad over there? Did you know that things are falling apart? Or are we the ones that God wants to use and say, enough's enough. I've been living in this rubble for too long. It's been broken down for too long. The gates have been burning, and it's time to rebuild. Amen. And so he goes to the king, and he says, I want to rebuild the cities. He, he, he was a man that had a vision from God. And a vision, I mean having a set course of action to say, this is what we must do. He had the faith and the boldness to rebuild. Now, how many of you know sometimes it's difficult to rebuild after you have built and after you've rebuilt, and after you've built. Listen, I can tell you that firsthand. It is difficult. But listen, it is not with our strength. It is not with our own efforts that we do it alone. But it is with the help of God that He will help us as a people, as a church, as a community to rebuild. And He'll give us the direction, the abilities, and the resources to do so. We see Nehemiah that he began to cast the vision and then he began to rebuild. And this is what he says. He says, we will rebuild this city so that it is no longer a reproach. That word reproach means a people that are ashamed and a place that is a disgrace. The, word, the, the Lord gave my wife a scripture at the beginning of this year. He said that, this church, this people, this city would not be a place that would be a disgrace. So in other words, he's going to use us to make an impact. He's going to use you if you'll allow him. Can somebody say amen? All right, once again, I want to bring your attention back to the scripture in Nehemiah chapter 2. Everybody doing okay? Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 19, it says, But when uh, Sanballat, the, uh, the Horonite, and... Tobiah, the Amorite official, and Geshem, the Arab, heard of it. They laughed at us and despised us and said, What is this thing that you're doing? Now, here's something that you have to know concerning Scripture. As we're looking at these walls and the city of Jerusalem, it is all symbolic of the heart of God and really the kingdom of God in operation even in this time and in this era. Anywhere that you see a group of people that has the word ite after it, the Hittites, the Amorites, they all represent or are symbolic of the devil coming against God's people. How many of you know that there are some devils that are coming against God's people today? 
How many of you had some come knocking on your door this this past week? Sure, we all do. And notice what it says here. He had a plan. God birthed something in his heart. He was moved with compassion. He said, enough's enough. And he said, it's time to rebuild. And all of a sudden, the devil comes and says, <laughs> what's this thing you're going to do? You're going to rebuild what? Don't you see how bad it is? Don't you see the walls? Don't you see the gates? Come on now. Are you really going to rebuild? How many of you know that it's real easy just to say, you know what, it's not worth it. It's not worth the time. Let's just move on. Let's just go somewhere else, right? And the devil will paint the picture of how challenging and how difficult to, he'll mock you. He'll tell you, you know what, you just need to, you just need to pack it up. You know what? Your marriage. Is it worth fighting and letting God rebuild your marriage one more time? Is, it, is your children, is it worth God allowing your family and your marriage and your children to go under construction one more time for God to do a work? Or is it time just to throw your hands up and say, I'm, I'm out of here? Listen, you can make whatever choice you want to, but I'm telling you, God's got one more trick in the bag. He's got one more miracle waiting for you. If you'll just allow him to do a reconstruction. I don't know about you, but sometimes, as I said, I, in my house, it's always my fault. So I already know what the rebuilding or who needs to be rebuilt, you know. But you, you realize that when you're always looking to somebody else, God, do something, do something, do something. And we're refusing to look in the mirror. God says, uh, uh, hey, pal, um, you're 70, they're the 30. I need to work on you a little bit more. I mean, you know, that's kind of tough. But God. And then what do we start? Well, I wouldn't be this way if they weren't that way. If they didn't treat me, I wouldn't act this way. I wouldn't talk that way. You know, I wouldn't think this way if they, if they were different. No, God says, listen, I'm not talking to you about them. I need to talk to you about you. All right. We'll have a marriage seminar next week. So anyways. <laughs> All right. So God says, I'm looking to rebuild. But the enemy consistently comes in and opposes God's plan. In Nehemiah chapter 2, starting in verse 20, it says, So, now remember, the Amorites said, What is this thing that you think you're doing? Then Nehemiah says, I answered them and said to them, The God of heaven himself will prosper us, therefore we will... Uh, we, his servants, will arise and build, but you have no heritage, no right, and no memorial in Jerusalem. Did you notice something that Nehemiah did? He answered them. Too often times, what do we end up doing? We just ball and squall. Well, okay, go. What do you want to do? I'll do whatever you want me to do. But God says, listen, you need to answer that. You need to answer the one that's opposing you. You need to talk to that. You need to talk to that one that is coming against your family. Oh, no, 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 no. You spirit of poverty, you're not going to come in this house. Spirit of division, you spirit of lust, you spirit of pornography, of, uh, of addictions. No, you are not coming in this house no more. I'm going to answer you. And as for me and my God, he said that he would prosper me. And I'm going to remind you just what it says here. You have no heritage here. 
Meaning that it stops here. It's not continuing in my family. It's not continuing in my kids. He says, you have no right here. No, it stops right now. I cut off any access that you have. You cannot cross the bloodline of Jesus. It stops now. And then it goes on to say, and there will be no memorial. So in other words, you're not setting up any monuments to remind me. I'm tearing them down. And right now, it ends. Ten years down the road, we're not going to have any remembrance of your junk in this place. No junk in our marriage. No junk in our family. There's nothing that is going to be a reminder other than the goodness of God because God said he would prosper us. Come on, somebody. Somebody say amen. Anytime that you rebuild, it's often because of the attack of the enemy. And it's in those moments that you have to ask yourself the question, what's my purpose? Why am I here? Why am I here now? If you walk away, you'll never find out what God's intent was for your life. You'll never see what could have been if you always take the easy way out. And then we have to ask the question, what is this all about? Why is it that it seems that the enemy continually just keeps you or tries to keep you under? My question is, is what is he so afraid of that he continually bombards you? Listen, I thoroughly believe you're in the right place at the right time, and I know that there's challenges that come and go, but my question is, is why is the enemy so intent to try to come against your life or anybody else for that matter in this place? And it's because he said in this place, it would be a dwelling place for God to meet with his people. And therefore, he knows that if you become a people that is full of God and become the people that God desires for you to be, you're dangerous. Let me say that again. I said you're dangerous. And I want you to understand something. Just because you attended church, it doesn't make you a, 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 a dangerous Christian. The kind of church you go to is what makes you a dangerous Christian. Do you realize you can go to a church that gives you all kinds of messages that pat you on the back, make you feel good? Or, or there's a church that can tell you and teach you the Word of God, how to live by faith and how to be yielded to the Spirit of God and learn how to follow His leading. That's the dangerous believer. Amen? Well, praise the Lord. All those people that aren't here this morning would have said amen a whole lot better than you, all right? <laughs> Just joking. Amen. It's the dwelling place for God. So as Nehemiah is rebuilding the wall, this feat was something that was naturally impossible. What took decades to build, naturally speaking, the Bible tells us that Nehemiah built it in 52 days. Or I should say he rebuilt it in 52 days. My question for us is, what can God rebuild us or build, rebuild in us in 52 days? You know what that comes to? That becomes November 11th. If we allowed God to do some rebuilding and reconstruction in our life, on November 11th, what would this church look like? What would your life look like? What would your family look like on November 11th coming back to church? Could it be that this could be the church without spot or rico? Could it be that this is a dwelling place where people can't wait to get in because of God being here and getting ready to meet His people? Could it be that in this place, that when people step foot into this building, miracles begin to happen, healings start taking place, cancer starts falling off? Could it be that in this place, God begins to show up in a big way that he wants to be the God that rebuilds not only a church of people, but in a community? 
Amen? So, he had to focus his people on the rebuilding process. Remember I said that it took 52 days. 52 days to rebuild the wall. But just in 52 days, because of all the attacks and all the strategy of the, of the enemy, they began to get weary in the matter of 52 days. So here's what he did. He says, all right. He says, I'm going to have watchmen that are going to keep watch for the enemy to come. And there are going to be those that build the wall. Now, those that build the wall, he says, you're going to wear your armor. So that way, when the watchers, if they see the attack coming, we're ready to do battle. You know what that represents? The scripture talks about the watchmen of the wall. That's those that are praying. And the Bible says that the weapons of our warfare are not, uh, not carnal, but mighty in God for the pulling down the stronghold. He says, put on the whole armor of God. So listen, how many of you know that in the rebuilding process, you've got to put the armor on? What is the armor? It is the word. The only way that we're going to truly rebuild our lives, our families, our church, our city is through prayer and the Word of God. Amen. And you have to be sure that you're going to have to do some battle. You're going to have to do some physical work. It's going to take some physical fortitude in order to rebuild, but it's worth it in the end because God says, I'll meet you there. Now, just as I wind up, give me about 10 minutes and we'll close this up. Because I said that there is the rebuilding of the walls and they did it in 52 days. The Bible says that they also rebuilt the gates. The gates are the life source to the city. The walls are the strength and the protection of the people of God. But the gates are the life source and the flow of that city or the life of that city. If you close the gates or damage the gates to where they do not function, all the life of that city will eventually come to an end. Let me give you some of the gates that surrounded the city. Just a couple minutes here. The first gate that we see in the city of Jerusalem that was a part of these walls was the sheep gate. The sheep gate was the gate through which they led the sheep down to the altar to be the sacrifice that was the atonement for the sins of God's people it, <clears throat> excuse me it was representative of the lamb of God that would come and had, had be, be slain for all mankind that his blood would be shed once and for all so therefore concerning this gate it leads us to the place where we find life through Jesus Christ. And life has not begun until you receive Jesus Christ into your life. You might have lived or done a lot of living, but you haven't lived life until you came into a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. Because eternity began a life once you knew who Jesus was. Amen? Now I want you to know something here. I want to challenge you in your thinking. Because there is a difference between praying a prayer and saying, Jesus, I want you to come into my heart. And receiving salvation. There is a difference of Jesus being your Savior versus Jesus being your Lord. And see, God's wanting us to come to a place where He is not just Savior, but where He is the Lord of our life. Secondly, there was the fish gate. The fish gate was the place of where, obviously, they did fishing. They did marketing. They brought fish in and took fish out. 
But do you recall what Jesus said in Mark, Mark chapter 1, verse 17? He says, if you'll follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. And see, this is the difference between somebody that has made Jesus just their Savior or has made them Lord. Because when He becomes the Lord of your life, you naturally become a fisher of men. What does that mean? That means when Jesus is the Lord of your life, you're concerned with what He's concerned with. Your life begins to be an example of who He is in and through your life. Amen. And let me just take it a little, little bit further. Your life. When Jesus is the Lord of your life, your life ought to bring conviction to those that are around you, whether they're Christians or unchristians. What does that mean? It means that your life ought to convict them in the manner of how they live to cause them to want to come closer to Jesus. Now, don't misunderstand what I said. I did not say that your life would bring condemnation. No, our life is not to make them feel bad about what their life is. It is to make them awaken to where you are and desire I want what you have and it's only because Jesus is the Lord of my life so therefore when Jesus is the Lord of your life you become a fisher of men number three it's the old gate the old gate represents truth in this modern culture how many of you know that truth is subjective anymore well I don't know if we got to do that anymore I don't know if you got to go to church anymore. You know, I don't have to go to church to pray. No, you don't. I don't need to go to church to worship. No, you don't. But if you're going to be a Christian, you got to go to church. He said some assembly is required. Amen. <laughs> Amen. <laughs> so there is truth. And there is truth by which we must learn to live by. And it is the truth of God's Word that brings us into the light of who He is. And this truth never changes. Number four. Number four is the dung gate. The dung gate is just what it is. It was the place that they took all the refuse and all the stuff and all, yeah, you know, all the gross stuff. But you realize that if you don't get rid of that stuff within the city that is full of life, eventually it becomes toxic, it becomes sick, because it is simply continues to wallow in the filth and the junk that is there. So what does that mean, or what does it represent? It represents just a place of repentance. God, I don't want to continue to live in this place that I'm at. God, I want to come out, and I want to come out among them. And God, I want you to do a work in my life because, God, I know that, man, it's been toxic there. And God, it's just not been the fullness of what you desire. God, help me live a life that is pleasing to you. Number five, there was the valley gate. The valley gate is also symbolic of a place of humility. How many of you have ever went through some valleys in your life? Boy, we sure would say, man, I love to live on the mountaintops. More praise the Lord, man. What a great mountaintop to mountaintop. Listen, you can't go from mountaintop to mountaintop without going through the valley. What do you go through the valley for? It teaches you how to live by faith. It gives and builds character in you. Listen, God's not just a, 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 a slot machine to say, come on, Jesus, come on, Jesus. Let me get what, you know. No. It, we go from faith to faith, from glory to glory. And so there is valleys that we're going to go through. But those valleys are those opportunities that we learn how to trust God. Amen. And then there's the fountain gate. These are all gates that are found in the walls of 
Jerusalem. The fountain gates is the place where you find the Holy Spirit. Do you remember Jesus said to the woman at the well? He says, the waters that, you sh that I shall give you will come in you and sp be springs of water. A fountain wells up for eternal life. Once again, he's speaking of the Holy Spirit. When there's a rebuilding process, when we build up these gates, when we build up these walls, we give place to the Holy Spirit to begin to be life on the inside. The next one is the gate or, or the water gate. The water gate or the water, rather, is always symbolic of the Word of God. Remember he said, by the washing of the water of the Word. His promises are sure. He's, he's not a man that he should lie. The Bible says that faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. God wants us to learn how to live by faith. Only three more. There's the east gate. The east gate faces the rising of the sun. That represents that every day there is new hope. Every day there's a new day. There's a new start. Every day God wants to meet you and saying, Today is a brand new day for my mercies to show up. Today's a brand new day. Yesterday was yesterday. All the junk of the past was yesterday. Today's a brand new day. You have hope. Then there's the horse gates. The horse gates in the scripture symbolizes warfare. The Bible says that the weapons of your warfare are not carnal but mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds. Listen, you are going to have to do battle. You are going to have to go against the enemy in your life because if you don't, if you don't, he's going to come against you and tear down your house. And the Bible says that he, he's going to come and, and, and if you try to withstand him, he says he'll bring back seven more just as strong as he. So what does that mean? It means I've got a purpose to have a good fight of faith, a good warfare. And the Bible actually says that the word of God becomes my good warfare. When the enemy comes in, what do I do? I raise up a standard, the word of God says. I plead the blood of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, you will not have your way. And then lastly is the muster gate. The muster gate. It literally is the gate of examination. It's a place of judgment where we judge ourselves. So what does that do? As I judge myself, it brings me back to the foot of the cross, right where I started. You see, God is wanting us to come to a place of being under construction so that God can make us who he wants to be. Will you stand with me? With every head bowed and every eye closed, I want you just for a moment, as we got to the place of the last gate, the place of examination, the place of judging ourselves, of taking inventory, I want you to ask yourself the question, are any of the gates in your life tattered? Are any of the gates in your life in need of reconstruction. And the first question that I want to ask you, is Jesus the Lord of your life? 
See, there's one thing to have Jesus as Savior, but there's something entirely different to have Jesus as the Lord of your life. It's a place of surrender. It's a place of giving Jesus your all. And if you'll allow yourself to come to that place this morning to say, Jesus, I surrender to you. Jesus, I give my life to you to do what you would, to do what you want to do. That is the beginning of the rebuilding process. As you're here this morning, taking inventory. If Jesus was standing here before you, what would you have to answer? So with every head bowed and every eye closed, can we get some keys, please? With every head bowed and every eye closed, is Jesus the Lord of your life? Have you surrendered all to Him? Have you just heard about the blueprints of the life that He wants to give? That He came to give life and life more abundantly. And all you've heard about that life and all you've wanted to taste and see that the Lord is good. But there's just been a step that you may not have been willing to take. Friend, it is not a painful step and it is not a difficult step. And I know the lie of the enemy is to come and say, oh, what do you think you're getting ready to do because you know your life and you know your stuff and you know all the stuff you need to get right and get ready before you could ever come to that place of saying, God, I surrender all. But if you could do it all by yourself, you wouldn't need Jesus. And so, friend, I'm asking you again, have you come to the place of complete surrender to say, Jesus, my life is yours? Maybe you prayed the prayer, but other than Sunday morning, you've said, Lord, the rest of my life belongs to me. But are you willing and are you ready to say, God, from this moment on, I give you my life. And so I just want you to respond to that with nobody looking around. I'm not going to embarrass you. I'm not going to call you up front. But I believe that God is in the process of rebuilding and doing some amazing work right now. And this is your hour. Don't let it pass by. For you may not ever have another opportunity. So if that's you on the count of three, when I get to three, if you're saying today is the day that I choose to surrender my life, not only to Jesus being my Savior, but to make Him the Lord of my life, on the count of three, I want you to raise your hand. Are you ready? One, two, three. Just raise your hand. One, two, three, four, five. See, five hands. You can put them down once you put them up. Anybody else, you say, I just, I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life. 
I want to completely surrender. All right. I'm going to pray with y'all. For those of you that are watching online, if you would say today's the day that I want to make Jesus the Lord of my life, you just engage in this prayer. I'm going to pray and pray over all of you. And if you're here this morning and say, I I didn't raise my hand, but I I wish I would have. You just hook your heart up with this prayer. Dear Heavenly Father, I submit myself before you as the pastor of this church. And I say first and foremost that, God, I repent. And I come before you and say, God, today, this day, I surrender all my life to you. Once again, to say, God, use me. However you choose, in whatever way. God, my life, my family, my marriage, my ministry belongs to you, sir. Use me in whatever way you can to rebuild me and to rebuild this church, this city, and this community. And God, over every single person that is in this place, that said they were bold enough to raise their hand, and even those that that have not but want to, God, in Jesus' name, we just as a church surrender our lives and surrender our will. And we say, God, take our lives, make something of it, and use us in this hour for your name's sake. God, help us in our weakness. Help us in our thought life. Help us in the challenges of our natural man. And by the help of the Holy Spirit, you will help us follow after you. In Jesus' wonderful name. And everyone said, amen and amen. Amen. to this podcast and take a look at all of our social media sites which can be found at our website gvchurch.tv we know that today's message has been a blessing to you thanks for listening we are genesee valley church loving god loving people and loving life